You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. All right. We are studying doctrine on Wednesday nights, just kind of going through the great doctrines of our faith. We've talked about the study of, or the doctrine of Revelation how God reveals himself to us. We talked about um, the doctrine of man. We talked about the doctrine of Christ. Uh, we talked about the doctrine of God. And uh, we have made it to a study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We began this uh, two weeks ago. Last week we talked about North American missions. But two weeks ago we started a study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that uh, this week. And we'll probably have one more um, time of discussing the doctrine of the Holy Spirit before we move on to uh, the next thing, which is the doctrine of salvation. So I'm excited about that. And the goal of this study is not just to, this is not to be a seminary class where we're just talking about some highbrow theological concepts. The goal is that we learn these biblical realities that are foundational to our faith, and we learn them in such a way that they have relevance for our lives. We want to understand why these doctrines matter uh, and why they are important to us. And so that's kind of been uh, the focus I've tried to bring to this study. And so we've made it to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Last time we talked about the Holy Spirit, we talked about <clears throat> excuse me, what I call Holy Spirit 101, where we talked about the basics of who the Holy Spirit is. We said a couple weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He's a person, the third person of the Trinity. The Bible teaches there's one God in essence and nature, existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and talked about why the... The, the person of the Holy Spirit matters in our lives, and we kind of outlined some of those. Well, tonight I, I wanted to highlight some terms that we find in the Bible that are related to the Holy Spirit, and I want us to make some distinctions between these different terms so we understand what these uh, terms mean. And I want to begin with the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation, what the Holy Spirit did when we were converted and is still doing in our lives. And I think as we study this, you'll start to see some distinctions in different ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives. So I'm excited about this. It'll be some good study tonight. Let me just pray for us and ask God's uh, blessing. Father, we are grateful for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness, your patience, your power, your sovereignty, your holiness, your righteousness. Um, you are so good, and we praise your great name. And now I pray that, Lord, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would do a work of illumination in our lives so that we would understand these truths and, uh, Lord, respond to these truths and get excited about these truths and passionate about these truths because uh, they are foundational for our faith. And we'll thank you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you look there in your notes, the Holy Spirit has four major roles in a person's conversion. Four major roles in a person's conversion. I, I told you Sunday morning 
that I love to think back to my conversion when I was saved at nine years of age. And now, as I learn more and more of, God, of God's Word, I, I learn more and more about what happened at that moment. When I was nine, I wasn't aware of what the Holy Spirit was doing at that moment. But now that I've learned more of Scripture, I'm studying more Scripture, I understand that moment even better uh, this far down the road. And, and so it helps us to understand what the Holy Spirit specifically was doing in our lives when we were Say, first of all, there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Over in John chapter 16, uh, there in verse 8, Jesus, and this is, by the way, uh, his upper room time before he would be um, betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he has extended teaching time here. And a lot of his teaching in chapter 14, chapter 16, is about the Holy Spirit because Jesus knew after he died on the cross and was buried and then he would be raised from the dead, he would spend some time on earth, but he knew he was going back to the Father. He would ascend back to the Father. And he wanted them to understand how the Holy Spirit would be their comforter. Uh, they would relate primarily to the Holy Spirit in their day-to-day living. So he's explaining this. And he says something interesting about the Holy Spirit there in John chapter 16, verse 8. When he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit... He will convict. Everybody say convict. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so Jesus clearly says here that one of the things the Holy Spirit will be about is bringing about conviction. Conviction about sin. Conviction about righteousness. Conviction about uh, judgment. And so that speaks of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So uh, again, I think about my own conversion experience. And uh, out of nowhere, I mean, I grew up in church. I, 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 you know, my parents became Christians just before I was born. And so when I was born, I was born into a church family. But my parents were new Christians. But they were bringing me to church. I was going to church. I was hearing the gospel, hearing great sermons, hearing faithful Sunday school teachers. And uh, the Lord was using that in my life. But really out of nowhere, about nine years of age, I began to ask spiritual questions. And where did that, where did that come from? As I look back, I now know it was the Holy Spirit unsettling my heart, convicting my heart, showing me I needed a Savior. That this Jesus I was hearing about in Sunday school and in church was was a Jesus that I needed personally. And I'll never forget, as I sat down with my pastor at my dining room table, he was showing me verses on the Romans road. And in Romans 6.23, I think he had me read it out loud, if I remember correctly. And I read, the wages of sin is death. And I'm just telling you, at that moment, there was this, this, this crystal clear understanding that I was a sinner and I deserve punishment. And it just became, it's like a light came on. I read that verse And the Holy Spirit was showing me, you are a sinner, Wade. You need a Savior personally. And I love the rest of that verse, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I remember knowing my need for Savior and sensing my need for Savior and and, and being led by that to call out on the name of Jesus, inviting Him into my life. Now that I look back, I know that was the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, convicting me drawing me, showing me I need Jesus. Now, here's what I believe about the convicting power of the Spirit. This is where it gets interesting. Uh, I believe that 
God convicts people by the Holy Spirit that respond, see their need, turn to Christ, turn to His salvation, accept Christ by faith. And there are some who are convicted that, that reject Jesus. They, they feel the conviction, but they reject Christ. And again, I think I've said this before, but I've been preaching long enough now that, that and, and this sounds a bit mystical, but, I, but I've been preaching long enough now that you can, you can see someone sometimes under conviction. You're preaching, you can actually see someone being convicted by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, you, you, can almost, you can see it on their face. You can see it in their demeanor. You can tell that God is dealing with them and struggling with them. And, I, and I've preached in settings like that, and I've seen someone under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and when the invitation comes, it's almost like they run down the aisle. It's like, I need Jesus, and they come right to you, and, and they're responding to that conviction. I've seen other people, again, under great conviction. You can just tell it. Again, if you've been doing this a while, you can just tell it under great conviction, and you finish the sermon, and you invite them to the Savior, and they get up and walk out the back door. You can respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, or you can reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And this is very, very clear in Acts 7.51. Uh, the first martyr of the New Testament church, Stephen, is preaching to the religious leaders. And in Acts 7.51 he says, listen to this, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised Pharisees, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You resist the Holy Spirit. So clear, clearly. Stephen's saying, Holy Spirit's trying to do something. He's, he's convicting, he's showing you, he's pointing you to truth, but you're resisting him. You're rejecting the, the Jesus that the Holy Spirit is pointing you to. But I believe that when we are saved, we are saved by responding to the work of the Spirit in our lives. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Maybe when you were saved, you remember this. Maybe you were saved in a, a, a revival meeting or you listened to Billy Graham or something of that nature. And, and probably you can remember listening to sermons before that moment when, you, when the light came on. You heard a lot of sermons and you listened to sermons. The sermons were, you know, whatever. You, you listened or tuned it out or whatever. But on that, that certain day that you were saved, man, the, the sermon came with this, this power, this clarity, this, this conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, um, squeezing your heart because he loves you, showing you your need to respond to the gospel message. So the first role of the Spirit in conversion is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, there's the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday when I said that um, in Christ we are, we are made alive, made alive together with Christ. That's another way of saying we are born again, we are made new, we are regenerated. And the word regeneration simply means this. Regeneration is the act whereby the Holy Spirit makes a person spiritually alive. That's what it means. To be regenerated means the Holy Spirit brings you from spiritual death to spiritual life. One of the verses I love on this is John 1.12 where the Apostle John wrote, To as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. So when you, when you receive Christ and you believe on the name of Jesus, at that moment you become a child of God. You are born again. And again, Ephesians 2 says we are made alive together with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So at the moment of conversion, when we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit does something in our hearts to make us alive, to bring us into spiritual life out of spiritual death. Now again, when I was nine years of age, I couldn't have articulated that. I knew something was different, but I couldn't have articulated it in in those terms. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes you a brand new creation. You are born again. You are alive. And the Holy Spirit does that, the the, the act of regeneration. Number uh, three, number three. Oh, by the way, John 3 connects the Holy Spirit with this act of regeneration. He talks about being born again. He talks about the Spirit blowing where it wishes. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that, that actually uh, is connected to this actually regenerating or being made alive. Number three, the Bible speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says there in verse 12, For just as, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body... Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He's talking there about the church. It's one body with different members that make up that one body. And we'll talk some more about this next time we're together. Uh, We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. But it says in verse 13, For in one spirit, it's talking there about the Holy Spirit, in one spirit we were all, everyone say all, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what does the baptism of the Spirit mean? The baptism of the Spirit is the imperceptible work of God. Now, it's not something you see, okay? It's it's in the spiritual realm. It's the imperceptible work of God by which a believing sinner receives the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon us. The word baptism means to immerse. So we're immersed in the Spirit. And, And at that moment, we are placed into the body of Christ. We become a part of the church, the body of Christ. That is called the baptism of the Spirit. Now, I want to tell you or, or explain to you why had you emphasized the word um, all. We were all baptized into one body. There are, there are denominations, there are, are churches, there are pastors that, uh, that teach on spiritual gifts. And, and there's a lot of discussion, a lot of debate on the gift of tongues, that seems to generate the most interest. People are talking about spiritual gifts. What's the gift of tongues? There, there are two basic views. We'll get to this uh, next time we're together. But, but you know, one view is that tongues are simply another language that someone is supernaturally empowered to speak so that people who are there listening to the gospel in another language can hear and understand and be saved. Kind of Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, when the, the apostles were preaching and people in different languages understood what they were saying. The other view of tongues is that tongues are an ecstatic utterance. It's this, it's this uh, kind of secret prayer language uh, between a person and God. And, um, and again, the Bible talks a lot about that. We'll talk about that later. But, but here's where we want to connect it to this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some denominations, some pastors, some churches say that speaking in tongues is evidence of the baptism of the Spirit. In other words... If you really have the Spirit of God, 
it'll show up in your life by speaking tongues. Now, everybody look at me real quick. I'm going to say something really, really direct. That's heresy. Because this passage says, all have been baptized in the Spirit. And later on, Paul says, not all speak in tongues, do they? Makes it very clear. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. So to connect speaking in tongues to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just biblically um, reckless. That, that is not a biblical, uh, a right biblical understanding of this doctrine. Uh, I believe everyone, I believe the Bible teaches, everyone that is saved, everyone that comes into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is baptized in the Holy Spirit. You are placed into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes upon your life, and that happens at the moment of conversion. Again, nine years old, I couldn't have explained that, but that's what happened to me when I was saved. That's what happened to you when you were saved, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Uh, we see it happen with the New Testament church. And, and the baptism of the Spirit is, is, is the New Testament experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament in different ways, different, you know, different, uh, uh, different functions, Different situations, Holy Spirit was active, and there's a lot of discussion about what that entailed. But uh, after the cross, starting on the day of Pentecost, after the cross and resurrection, starting on the day of Pentecost, the church was baptized. And everyone from that point on that has been saved has been immersed, baptized in the Spirit. That is the New Testament believer's experience with the Holy Spirit. Everyone has been baptized with the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. Everybody got that? And you've been placed by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. And next time we're together, the Spirit empowers you to serve in your role in the, the body of Christ. So that's the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now remember that because we're going to make some distinctions in just a moment. The fourth is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit is the spiritual reality that God takes up residence in every believer's uh, life. Uh, John 14. John 14 speaks to this. Let me read it to you. John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will, um, I'm sorry, he says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be what? In you. That's the the, the indwelling of the Spirit. Romans 8 talks about it as well, 9 through 11. So here's what that means. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you at the moment of conversion and places you into the body of Christ, He comes to stay. He doesn't come and leave. He comes to take up residence. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, and this is, this is so important to understand, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. God himself resides in your life. Paul said it over in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that our bodies are temples of what? Of who? The Holy Spirit. Temples of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now here's a note to kind of start thinking about these terms. Regeneration the baptism of the Spirit, 
and the indwelling of the Spirit all happen simultaneously the moment a person places their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're saved. All right? Spirit draws you. You give your life to Jesus. You're made new. Holy Spirit comes upon you, puts you in the church, the body of Christ, and he comes to stay and dwell there forever. You see why the Bible knows nothing of someone that names the name of Christ but has no life change? I mean, how can someone experience these realities and their life not change, right? I mean, if, if, if God himself comes to take up residence in your life, I mean, there's going to be some change, right? And, and so the Bible knows nothing of someone that says, I'm a Christian, but there's simply no transformation in their life. If you're a Christian, you're a new creation, a brand new creation, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and change you. Now, there's another phrase used with the, the person of the Holy Spirit that I want us to understand and then, again, make some distinctions so you understand it even better. I want to answer this question. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And the reason I'm asking this question is because a lot of people use terms interchangeably. They say something like, well, the baptism of the Spirit is the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. And I want to show you that that's not accurate, all right? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because Ephesians 5.18, go ahead and turn there, Ephesians 5.18, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. We'll talk some more about that in a moment. If you look there in your notes, to be filled with the Spirit means that the Spirit controls and powers your life. So look what it says in Ephesians 5.18, and we'll get to this in our Ephesians study eventually. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18... Paul writes, do not uh, get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, this verse is not primarily talking about alcohol. Even though there's, there, certainly it is, and there's some application for that and things we need to consider with that. Um, but the, 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 the picture of alcohol or being controlled by alcohol is meant to be a contrast to explain what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So if, if you are... If you are under the influence of alcohol, that alcohol begins to control you. Your thoughts, your speech, your motor skills, it, it controls you. And so here's Paul's point. Don't let, alcohol, don't let wine control you or anything control you. By way of contrast, let the Holy Spirit control you. So to be filled with the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. That's what it means. He's calling the shots. He's controlling you. He's empowering you. Now, that word, be filled, where he says, be filled with the Spirit. I want to show you four just real quick things grammatically, because there's a lot in this verb that I want you to see. First of all, it's, it's in the imperative mood. That's the grammar there, which means it's a command. The imperative is used for commands. So the filling of the Spirit is not something that's optional. If we're a Christian... God says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I want you to be controlled by the Spirit. I want this to be a reality in your life. It's a command. Secondly, it's plural. So it's given to all Christians, right? This is, this is not just for pastors or missionaries or Bible study teachers. This is not some category of super Christian. The, the, the filling of the Spirit is an expectation for every Christian. It's plural. It's for everyone, all right? Third, it's in the passive voice, which means the filling comes from an outside source. We don't fill ourselves. It's the Spirit that fills us. 
Okay? This is the opposite of pick yourselves up by your bootstraps. Right? A lot of times we talk about the Christian life. And I want to just tell you something about the Christian life. The Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible to live the Christian life in your own strength. You just can't do it. And if you try to live the Christian life in your own strength, you're going to experience frustration because you will keep falling flat on your face. What's the alternative? Let the Spirit of God do His work in you. Let Him fill you up. And as He fills you up, He will help you to live in a way that honors and glorifies God. So the filling, the power, comes from outside of you. It's, it's the Spirit doing it. It's not your own strength. It's the passive voice. And, and then set, uh, last, it's in the present tense. It's a present tense verb, which means it's to be a repeated, continual event. So th- you could translate this and say true to the grammar like this. You could say... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be continually filled with the Spirit. Or be filled and keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's how you could translate that verb. It is in the present tense, a repeated, continual event. So this is not a one-time experience. You know, I had a, a, you know, I had a, a powerful experience at a revival service or at youth camp, and I was filled with the Spirit. Well, that's great, but this is to be an ongoing, repeated continual experience for the Christian. In other words, God doesn't want us to live a spirit-filled life one week and not the next week. One month and not the next month. One year not the next. He wants us consistently let the Holy Spirit exercise control in our lives and empower us to live the Christian life. Now, I want to show you, if you look there, and this may be on the back, uh, there's a little chart. Everybody see the chart? With two columns. Do you have that? Okay. I want to show you the distinctions between the baptism of the Spirit, which happens when? When does the baptism of the Spirit happen? Moment of conversion. Okay? And the command to be filled with the Spirit for the Christian. I want to show you the differences here. Okay? So you'll understand when you see these terms in the Scripture or in maybe a Christian book you're reading. Baptism of the Spirit happens how many times? One time. You only get saved one time. And by the way, you understand that, don't you? You only get saved one time. Because you get saved, you're saved for good. You're eternally secure in Christ because Jesus paid it all, right? So when you invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior, he forgives you of all of your sins, seals you with the Spirit, gives you the hope and promise of heaven, eternal life that begins at the moment of conversion. So you only get saved once. And the baptism of the Spirit happens at the, the moment of salvation. It happens once. Filling of the Spirit, that can happen many times. It could happen many times in one day. I'll talk some more about what that means in a moment. But it's a command to be obeyed, right? So if you're obeying it, then you stop obeying it. We can start obeying it again. If you weren't obeying the command yesterday, you can obey it tomorrow and the next day. So this is the filling of the Spirit is this ongoing obedience to the Lord. It happened many times. Baptism of the Spirit, past event, happens at conversion. Filling of the Spirit is a present reality. We're called to... In our day-to-day life, exhibit the power and control of the Spirit in our lives. Baptism of the Spirit is for all believers. When you're saved, you're baptized. Spirit comes upon you, places you in the body of Christ. The filling of the Spirit is for obedient believers. Because you're obeying this verse. Baptism of the Spirit, this is important, is never commanded. We're never commanded to be baptized in the Spirit. It happens when we're saved. It's not a command. 
The filling of the Spirit is commanded. Ephesians 5.18, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. You see the difference there. It's for Christians. Baptism of the Spirit is a positional truth. It just happens when you're saved. You do nothing to, to, to influence that. It just happens. God does it. The, the filling of the Spirit is experiential and practical. In other words, it takes your obedience, your responsiveness to see this uh, command obeyed and this happening in your life. Here's a good way to think about it. This really helped me when I, when I came across this. Baptism of the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is resident in your life. He's there. You have the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian. The filling of the Spirit means He is president of your life. See the difference there? It means you're surrendered to the Spirit of God. He's calling the shots. He's president of your life. Baptism of the Spirit, aorist tense. And the heiress is used in the Greek language to speak of a, a once-for-all action. You're baptized, it's been done. Filling of the Spirit is present tense, continuous ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was... Um, I'm not going to take questions tonight because we got a church conference. You can ask me afterwards if you have questions. But when I was uh, working with Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, they, I got to meet Bill Bright who was the founder of Crusade, a uh, great man of faith. Um, he did so much for the Great Commission and, and did so much to reach college campuses and to reach the nations. Just a real hero of the faith, one of, one of my heroes. And I got to meet him. He was advanced in years at that time. I got to hear him speak. I got to hear him preach. And uh, just a remarkable uh, man. His wife's name was Vonette. She was a rem- remarkable lady. They were a remarkable team for the gospel. But years, years and years ago... Bill Bright uh, wrote a, a little pamphlet called Have You Made the Discovery of the Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life? Or something like that. Or Have You Made the Discovery of the Spirit-Filled Life? You can, you can Google that and it'll, a PDF will come up. You can, you can read it for your own. And I hope you'll do that at some later point. But in that pamphlet, which they taught us at Crusade, he, he, he describes how a person obeys the command in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit. Man, what does that look like to obey that command? And I'll just give you this very, very quickly. Uh, from Bill Bright, I learned the concept of spiritual breathing. And he says, spiritually, we need to exhale and inhale. And here's what he meant by that. We exhale our sin. Okay? So, in John 7, Jesus describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit as being like a river of living water that flows through you, right? Okay? Now, if, if, uh, if you're standing by a river and it's flowing, you know, with a, with a, a strong current and flowing powerfully and, and, and moving by, if you start to put rocks in that river, if you put enough rocks in there, eventually the flow will stop. It will be dammed up, correct? If you put enough rocks in there, no matter what river it is, you put enough rocks or impediments in there, it will dam up the flow of the river. And, and Bill Bright made the point that that's what happens when we have unconfessed sin in our life. The Spirit is flowing like a river, and we have this sin that we don't deal with, we don't confess it, we just let it sit there and fester and, and, and do its damage and we never deal with that sin. And that unconfessed sin begins to dam up the flow of the Spirit in our lives. 
And so his point was, when we begin to confess our sin, he called that exhaling. When we begin to confess our sin to God, it's like taking the rocks out of the river. Get them out of there so the Spirit will flow unimpeded through your life. And so when he said spiritual breathing, he says, exhale, confess your sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I believe, just anecdotally, I've never done any research on this, but I believe anecdotally that most Christians don't regularly experience the grace of confession of sin. We just walk around with junk in our lives. We know we've done some stuff. We know that we displeased the Lord. We know that we grieved His heart. But we never say, Lord, I blew it. And I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in my heart. I want to do, I want to do bad. I want to go in a new direction. Would you remove the sin? And, and I want to confess it and forsake it go in a new direction. Most Christians don't practice confession. And I believe this needs to be a, a reality, a daily reality in our lives. And Bill Bright said, you know when you ought to confess a sin? When the Holy Spirit convicts you. And so, if you're just living your life and you blow it, the Holy Spirit will let you know, right? You know, you yell at your spouse or kick the dog or whatever, and you just, you know, having a bad day, Holy Spirit, conviction, right? Shouldn't have done that. That's not what a Christ follower does. At that moment of conviction, confess it. Exhale. Lord, I'm sorry. That was, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted like that. That didn't look like Jesus. And I don't want to act like that anymore. I don't want it in my heart. Would you just, I just confess it to you. Get it out of my heart, Lord. Cleanse my heart, as David said in Psalm 51. That's exhaling. And then, after you exhale your sin, you inhale. And that's basically just asking the Holy Spirit to fill you. Just, and by faith, trusting that he does. You're obeying the command. I've confessed my sin. Now, Holy Spirit, would you fill up my life? This may be something that happens several times throughout your day, right? Because you may blow it and you have to confess. But then you just, you know, in the, in the quietness of your own heart, you know, Holy Spirit, fill me. Take control. Empower me. Guide me. You can read Ephesians 5. We'll get there on Sunday mornings. But there's a, there's a list of what it looks like when you're empowered by the Spirit. The difference that the Holy Spirit makes in your life. The, 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 the Spirit-filled Christian life. And so, uh, just remember that, that little anecdote of spiritual breathing. All right, If you feel like you're living life in your own strength. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is not leading you and guiding you like you want Him to. Confess your sin. And then just invite him to fill you. And by faith, know that he will. In fact, Bill Bright quotes Luke, and I can't remember the exact verse reference, but uh, I think it's Luke 13, uh, I'll find it later. But he quotes Luke and he says, uh, on prayer, he says, Will not the Lord give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask him to fill you. And he will. All right? And then we can walk around living our lives with a touch of the supernatural. Because the Holy Spirit is empowering us, guiding us, giving us words to say and thoughts to think and ways to act. And, and the, whole, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit makes a practical difference in our daily lives. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.